This is Tom Bernard. Can't get enough of sports talk with Phil Mackey and Judd Zolgad. Tune in to the new Tom Bernard Show podcast Monday through Friday as Phil and Judd join me to discuss the latest sports headlines and whatever else comes to mind. Just download the Tom Bernard Show app wherever you get your podcasts or visit TomBernardShow.com. It's another way to get more from me and Judd talking sports and having fun with Tom and it's all at your fingertips. Download the Tom Bernard Show app now and join the conversation. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. America's fastest-growing TV brand, TCL, brings you Mackie and Judd. Thomas Morstead is punted more in his first half, and it's a fake, and it's a keeper, and it's a first down. So forget the Morstead punt. That, of course, was the uh, Saints, the fake punt yesterday in the Saints-Eagles game. Mackie and Judd right now is uh, Zolgad, Matthew Collar, Manny Hill, Jonathan Harrison along for the ride. And joining us now, our buddy from ESPN, who was in the Superdome for yesterday's game, Kevin Seifert. Was the press box shaking? My guess is absolutely. It most certainly was, Judd. And, uh, you know, I guess if you're there a lot, you get used to it, and it's no big deal. And I know I've uh, been in Seattle where the press box has also uh, shook. But it was uh, it was shaking to the point of beginning uh, the the, uh, the people involved seasick. I think last Woo. night it was awfully awfully loud and uh, and violent last night. So although we are supposed to uh, be unbiased in our views of things, Kevin Seifert, I will tell you one person I felt good for at the end of that game on Sunday, Drew Brees, and here's why: Drew okay. Brees orchestrated last year at the at uh, U.S. Bank Stadium a phenomenal comeback. I mean, this guy is a great quarterback. He's 39 now, and he he brought the Saints back for a game that they had a very good chance to win. The Vikings came back and won on that last play. But I felt good for Breeze because this guy is a professional through and through. He's fun to watch. And and I really felt that he was the one guy who in 2017 against the Vikings in that divisional playoff game got a raw deal. Yeah, especially, you know, you, you know he's now 40. And so uh, you don't know how many years he's not only going to play, but how many years all the, the planets are going to align to get him on a team that has a legitimate chance to, to win it. And Certainly the way they uh, played uh, in the second half of last year's game, they, they had a chance to go on and potentially beat the Eagles in the uh, NFC Championship game last year. And, and certainly this year they, they have uh, a, a, better, a much better chance playing at home. I mean, I, like I, I, I'm not a betting man, but I would have a hard time betting against the Saints uh, playing at home in the press, with the press box shaking, uh, not advancing to the NFC champion, or to the Super Bowl. And so, uh, certainly liked, uh, to see him, uh, get one, at least one more chance, uh, to win a championship and already a Hall of Famer, already one of the best players of this generation or the past two generations. He's been around for so long, but, um, certainly, uh, good to see him, uh, advance this far at least. Sorry. Got to turn my mic on. Uh, the uh, come on, four, the, I, I know that was a bush league move on my part. Um, the uh, the four teams that are remaining, Kevin, number one or two in scoring, and one, two, three, four, obviously in scoring in the league this year. Yeah, uh, are, are we um, 
Are we done with defense wins <laughs> championships? Or are we gonna just are we gonna still say well, that or, or or where where do we stand? You know, it was interesting. Somebody presented that to uh, to Drew Brees yesterday or last night after the game, and he made a fair point. I thought he's like, well, you have to score to win, but you also need to stop the other team from scoring to win too. So, um, you know, I don't know. You know, I, I can speak specifically to the Saints' defense, and that I've seen them in two games this year: the one here against the Vikings, and uh, and the one last night. And as good as their offense has been all year. Uh, their defense held the Eagles to 14 points yesterday, uh, made some key stops. Uh, more importantly, two really important um, turnovers. Um, you know, the first one was basically the, the first good thing that happened to the Saints the entire game after they'd fallen behind 14 nothing. Marshawn Lattimore picks off uh, Nick Foles on a, on a play where it looked like Zach Ertz had a step on a, what would have been a long reception. But, so that got things turned around. And so I don't think there's... You know, I don't think there's any any uh, surprise that in this era you better be able to score a lot of points if you want to advance far into the playoffs. Not only because it gets you allows you to stack up regular season wins and have a better seed in the playoffs, but also because you're going to be playing some of the better defenses in the playoffs as well, and your, your offense needs to be able to perform at least some level. You know, the, the Chiefs are are the are the uh, the, you know, the, they had arguably one, statistically one of the worst defenses in the league uh, for a good portion of the year, um, at least against the pass, and that uh, and they were able to make up for it with a, with the great offense. But I think the rest of the teams at least had defenses that you know weren't necessarily what you would say. You know, they were built around. They weren't a team built around defense, but they certainly have good defenses in their own right. Yeah, it's a sort of always been a fun conversation with the defense wins championships because every coach will say it all the time. And my mm-hmm. theory on that, Kevin, is that coaches feel like they have a little more control over defense because the same quarterbacks keep ending up in the championship games. That, yeah. uh, no surprise, the quarterback who throws 50 touchdowns and 5,000 yards, look, he's here playing at home and playing in the championship game. That's where I think some of that comes from is coaches say it because they feel like, well, I can ski he must have a better defense, but ultimately what ends up winning is who has the best quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, and uh, Judd will like this. It, back in uh, in the old newspaper days, we had a, uh, a system called Atex, and there was a, was essentially before copy and paste, there was a button called, was it called Save Get, Judd? Oh yeah, Save Gets. They were great. So basically, the coaches in the NFL just hit that Save Get button whenever they're asked about the keys to success, and they kind of they kind of vomit up. You got to <laughs> run the ball and, and, and stop the run. You got to play good defense. You can't make mistakes. You got to get turnovers. You know, there's a whole, I could write a whole book about save get things that come up. We want an attacking style defense. We're not going to sit back in in coverage. And like you hear every every all all eight of the new coaches uh, have that were hired this year. As an aside, said you know they were going to have attacking aggressive defense because. You know the alternative is not even conceivable. But uh, long story <laughs> short, like there, there's and there is such a disconnect between what they say and even what their teams are pursuing. Like this, you know, these teams say like we got to run the ball, we got to stop the run. But then you see the drafts they have, you see the the production they have, you see the way they've changed their own offenses, and it's almost like they're saying things out of rote save get mode that without even realizing that they're not themselves not even pursuing those goals as much anymore. Do you like where we're going here? Uh, And, Kevin, this is the thing. I guess it it amazes me. 
Because these teams are owned by billionaires who employ people making millions of dollars to make decisions, right? And yet, and yet we have now entered, and this is not surprising, it's just, it's weird to me in some ways, we've now entered a period of time where if you know Sean McVay or McVay's dog, you get a job. I, shouldn't you be looking, if you want to be an innovative football, football-y person, shouldn't you be thinking to yourself, okay, what's next here? Instead of going and, be, and being like, if you knew McVay, did you? Yeah. Okay, you're hired. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely they, that has gone to an extreme, and I think the most extreme of the extreme was the Cardinals putting in their press release that Cliff Kingsbury is friends with Sean McVay, and yeah. so that that uh, he had not coached with him, but he's friends with him. And so I think what it's gotten to is that the things we were talking about before, the way that the league is built around offense and needing not only to to, to score a lot of points to win games and get good playoff seating, but also to win playoff games, uh, then that's that's you know. Teams are desperate to have somebody who can execute that portion of the game, and almost to the point where they're almost willing to drop the pretense of hiring, you know, a leader of men or a, uh, a guy who can stand in front of the room. Maybe some of these guys can, you know, along with the other things. But it is such a premium in all these in the minds of all these owners to have a modern day play caller that they're willing to almost seed the rest of what we traditionally conceive of a head coaching role to other places. In Arizona, Cliff Kingsbury, they asked him about, you know, who's going to be your defensive coordinator, who's going to be your special teams. Yeah, you know, I'll, you know, the G, you know Steve Kahn, the GM, will, you know, he, I'm going to rely on him for names. So he's not, I mean, there's no even a pretense in Arizona <laughs> that he was going to stand in front of the room and lead men to run through walls and to hire a great staff and go at it and, you know, and I think you know Cleveland has hired a great staff behind Freddie Kitchens, um, who was a running backs coach uh, when the season started. And now is the head coach, but I don't know that. You know, I think that was a pretty heavily influenced staff by his uh, by the, the front office there as well. And that's that's the underside of the trend that we're seeing is that people want those play callers so bad. I mean, Freddie Kitchens proved he's he got a pretty good offensive mind and a play caller in the second half of the season and had that connection with Baker Mayfield, so he gets the job no matter what other qualifications he might have or he might lack. And so the rest of it has to be filled in. And that, to me, will be the fascinating part of next season is how many of these coaches were hired for a very specific thing without really a pretense that they would be able to uh, manage the program like we traditionally have seen. And maybe that's not as big of a deal as it sounds. Maybe if your offense is scoring a bunch of points and everybody's winning, then you know, and I think Freddie Kitchens even said that in Cleveland today. He said, you're happy when you win, and so things work when you're winning. And so you can score a bunch, bunch of points and win, and that's a, one way to lead for sure, I suppose. Well, it does seem like Sean McVay checks that box as well, and then lets Wade Phillips take care of defense, and, and yeah. him picking one of the smartest defensive minds that has been in the game over the last how many number of years was sort of a thing that it wasn't talked about so much when we were all amazed with how nice Cliff Kingsbury looks in sunglasses. Yeah, and, and I will say that the one thing about Sean McVay that a lot of people will tell you in the league is that, yes, he's 11 years old or whatever, and he, <laughs> you know, he, he's, he's there predominantly as a play caller, but he also happens to be um, you know, a pretty strong alpha-type leader you know, to the extent that that's important um, you know, in terms of immediately walking to a room where there's a lot of players who were either his age or older and commanding it to the point where, I mean, this was a franchise that, um, that 
you know, hadn't won in decades, basically. But you know, basically from the Kurt Warner times until Sean McVay gets there, they've just been down. And you know, certainly elevating the offense is a big part of it. But I think you'll also find that one of the unique things about him is that he actually is sort of that command the room, run through a wall type leader. And so that's the thing that I don't know if, if teams are hoping that can also develop from these people or they're misascribing, misascribing the success and the reasons for the success in L.A., or they just don't think that that's as important as, as some of the other parts. But that's, that is one difference that people should know is that Sean McVay is not just this offensive genius who can memorize all the plays he's ever been around and, and is a great schemer and play caller. He also happens to be a pretty good leader as well. Uh, I was just looking at the Super Bowl winners, Kevin, and you'll be shocked to know that most of them are good at offense and defense. Isn't that weird? I like it. And but don't forget <laughs> special teams. Uh, just, oh, just, yeah, there's oh, three, 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 fa- three all faces of National Football League, young Matthew yeah. Collar. Yes, um, there was only one <laughs> one non-top ten scoring team, and that was the Denver team with washed-up Peyton Manning, and then only two teams that ranked below 20th in uh, defense. So it's no shock that being good at lots of things, this is the same thing with running the ball. Like Clearly, passing is driving success in the league. Look at the quarterbacks here who are still playing, but then you get the, see how well the Rams ran the ball? Like, yeah, being good at more stuff is good, I think. Right, and the, 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 one, of the, one of the things that that will take the whole offseason to unpack is that this was the best year in NFL history in yards uh, per carry. Um, not total yards. There wasn't, you know, there's been years where more yards have been rushed for, but never has the average rushing play been more successful than this year. Well, isn't that because, I mean, you look at what the Chargers were doing and they were playing a safety at linebacker. The teams are. It's trying to stop the pass in any way, shape, or form possible, and it seems like the Rams have really mastered this. Of there, there, you'll never see three linebackers in the box anymore. It just doesn't happen. No, because you can't, they can't run with all the all the receivers that are out in the in the pattern, and uh, and if they are, they're they're uh, or they're going to be blitzing as pass rushers, and so yeah, and so I, I think maybe just the, the 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 attention people had to pay to the pass allowed when they did run. You know, to uh, to be more successful, but I, I would like to see more study on that. And you're just the person to do that. He can do that for you. <laughs> yeah. In, in fact, yeah, he is. Uh, he is football. Very football, Mr. Football. Last thing, Kevin. The Patriots on Sunday are going to appear in their eighth uh, consecutive AFC title game, and Tom Brady will be in his thirteenth AFC championship game. When we look back on this in five or ten years. Uh, how how absolutely off the charts remarkable are we going to see that this run in this sport with all of the different rosters and the one and the one norm being the quarterback and coach though to have this sustained amount of success? It's getting to be like, and I'm not a huge NBA guy, but you know, I was just telling my son not too long ago about the Celtics winning basically every championship. It was an eleven of thirteen years or something yes. like that, and just inconceivable that. One that almost boring, you know, that one team every year was just so much better than everyone else and and, and winning. And, and I think we're and that I think is you know that in UCLA, uh, the college basketball. I think we'll start to if we haven't already put the Patriots in that bucket where just teams that over you know with entire almost entire rosters overturned, sometimes different coaches, sometimes or assistant coaches, different schemes, different different ways the game is played. Still managed to be the dominant team year in year out. Um, I think we're very close 
to uh, to putting the Patriots in the same um, you know when you consider all the relevant factors in the same bucket as right. uh, the Celtics and UCLA. So uh, the the Vikings name Kevin Stefanski their OC on Friday, and we think that's that that's done. Then we see a report today, Kevin Seifert, that Gary Kubiak is in town talking to the team about an unnamed position, mm-hmm. which I imagine would be something like quarterbacks coach slash head coach uh, slash assistant head coach. Your thoughts on going down the potential path of having the young offensive guy in Stefanski, the veteran in Kubiak, and also a guy in Kubiak who's known as a quarterback whisperer to, I would imagine, work pretty much hand-in-hand with Cousins on a daily basis. No one knew that uh, that, that uh, Gary Kubiak was going to be available last week when the uh, Stefanski news came down, and that, to me, is the most interesting thing. Uh, there had long been an assumption, because he's under contract with the Broncos, that he would, was being held on to to be given... To the, whoever the new head coach was, and when Vic Fangio was hired, you just assumed that that a defensive guy would want a veteran offensive guy to take care of things, so he could work on the defense. And um, that, for whatever reason, did not work out. And so I, you know, I, to me, it it can only be good because there's never been really an offense that Gary Kubiak has run or been involved with, either as a head coach or an assistant head coach, or even as a player that hasn't been really successful. So. There's never been a time when he's really, for more than, you know, for an extended period, been involved in something that, that didn't work out well. So I would think he would be a welcome addition um, by anybody. Would not, I wouldn't consider him overtly threatening to Stefanski or any other uh, Apple card. Or Zim, maybe. Upset. Or Zim, yeah. I, uh, I don't think Zim cares about that or anything at this point. <laughs> I think he's just, he's all, you know, that he doesn't strike me as, uh, as someone who thinks that way but um that you know assuming that you figure out titles and roles and responsibilities i think that that could only be good um you know i don't think it, it i don't think kubiak is the type of person personality uh who would make that an uncomfortable situation and wouldn't take it if he thought it might be so if it's worked out i think that's only for the good thank you sir appreciate the time as always okay guys. talk to you Kevin Seifert does a great job. Check out his stuff, uh, ESPN.com. He was at Saints-Eagles on Sunday and has plenty of stuff on the website about that now. Take a break. Uh, when we come back, just briefly, I've got a rant, okay? Because I went to something on Saturday night, and I was disgusted. It was despicable, and thank God I didn't pay for it. Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd Show will continue in a moment. Do I have your word on that, sir? Mackie and Judd. Absolutely. On 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. Please, continue. On 1500 ESPN. All right, quick check on traffic here in the TCL Broadcast Studios. Traffic update brought to you by Duluth Trading Company, 35W southbound. Got some debris on the roadway. There's debris everywhere in the area right now. People got to be careful driving out there. Uh, This debris is in Minneapolis uh, near 36th Street, so uh, beware of that. Might cause some slowdowns. Also, we got a stalled vehicle, 94 westbound. I told you about that earlier between Cedar Avenue and Highway 55, and a lane is blocked there, so be on the lookout for that. Gentlemen. Vanek wheels out from behind the net. Dude, make a save, and then rebound. Vanek scores. Vanek at center ice. Into the Minnesota zone. Vanek maintains the puck. Fire scores! Second of the night for Vanek. And the Red Wings are back in front 3-2. That was the worst game that we've played since I've been here as coach. Effort, compete, 
Uh, I don't know where it was. I don't know if they're if they're still tired from this road trip or, or what have you, but uh, I'm really disappointed in tonight's effort. Amen, Bruce. Amen, baby. Saturday night, d- did you guys happen to catch any of that? You were probably watching, Collar, the uh, Dallas Rams game. But that performance by the Wild, to which, of course, the next day, my guy Royce on Twitter, I love you hockey people. It's 1 of 82 and you get all upset about it. I, you're, you're all upset about one. All right, I'm going to tell you exactly why that game was worth being PO'd about. And I'm going to start it with this quote from Devin Dubnik. He might be able to stop hockey pucks, but his assessments of life in hockey suck. It's disappointing. I think everybody's everybody was very frustrated. And at the same time, I think that uh, that's very uncharacteristic of us. And um, there's no point in, in looking too far into, into uh, the way that game went. That's so, uh, so not like us. Okay. First of all, you gave up two goals to Thomas Vanek who robbed you of your money, if you recall that one. The reason why, the first part of this is the reason why that this loss and the effort that was put forth or not put forth, Matthew Collar, was instructive of this team is because if this was a good team and they just came out once in a while and were awful, I think in this sport you would be legitimately like, okay, that's fine, bad game, had a bad game, bad night, happens. But with this team... Even in an 82-game season, let me just quickly go through the wild so far, 2018-19, okay? They started 1-4, and four, which is when I penned the column, Zolgad, wild is old, broken down bunch. They look awful. They followed that with an 11-3 and three stretch. Oh, okay, there's something here. You're back in the playoff you picture. You motivated them. Yeah, you're back in the playoff picture, too. That's great. They then turned around after that 11-3 and three stretch and went 5-12 and 12 in their next 17 games. They lost to Chicago, and I said, okay, now they're just, they're dead. Pull it apart. It's done. Then they came back and won five of seven. Until Saturday, when they put forth that complete clunker. If this was a one-off, pretty good hockey team that played like that, I would say, it's no big deal. But where this quote is asinine. It's disappointing. I think everybody's everybody was very frustrated and... At the same time, I think that uh, that's very uncharacteristic of us. I'll stop it right there. That is the Cliff Notes version, Devin, of your hockey team on Saturday night. (laughs) And the reason why, as you prepare to play in an hour and a half from now in Philadelphia, the reason why I am annoyed and disturbed by this is because my question off Saturday is, all right, was this just one game, or are we now going back into a 15-game stretch where you embarrass yourselves? So, to people who wonder, why do you get upset about 1 of 82? Who cares? It's because what this team does is always very instructive of every time you think they're on the right course. And that right course might be, they're awful. They're going to have to trade at the deadline. Fenton's going to go trade at Stahl and Niederreiter, blah, blah, blah. They turn it around and have a stretch like 11 and 3. And then when you say, okay, there might be something here. This might, this might be them. They turn around and go 5 and 12. So, Devin Dubnik, this is your team. This is how you play. That clunker where you guys stood around in Detroit. Yeah, Detroit, you know what? They're improving. They played a nice game. Detroit was on the second of a back-to-back. They lost to the Jets on Friday. You were off on Friday. So don't give me this crap about, one, it's not instructive. This is completely your team. This is, if you need to provide a synopsis of, what do you know about this hockey team the last three or four years? You would take a good game, and then you would take Saturday's game and say, this is you. 
Don't give me this crap about it's not you. We're, just forget about it. Who, no, I'm not going to forget about it. You basically showed up and embarrassed yourself completely. Thomas Vanek scored two goals. Thomas Vanek skates as well as I do these days. This was like 48 hours after you and had proclaimed Thomas Vanek as like your number one most frustrating Minnesota sports athlete. And he ever. remains number one. And and that and that effort that effort and the post game quotes by the he way. He heard you, Juddy. You motivated him. Now the post game quotes were, well, no, when I play here, my buddies in college, they they've seen me play so much they don't show up now. So my son and his friends come along and I like to show them the old man can play. Hey Thomas, why didn't you show him the old man could play when you were in a wild sweater? You never cared about it then. You didn't have any professional pride then. You were too busy signing over your paychecks to bookies. So, but for Devin Dumnick to say this isn't us, au contraire, this is you. And guess what? Your head coach knows it. And it's been them for a very long time, and it's hard to see them changing because when you look at the wild card race in the old Western Conference there, Judd, what you find is the Colorado Avalanche have only won one of their last 10 games. Anaheim Ducks have won zero of their last 10 games. The Canucks are not good. Edmonton's not good. Arizona's is shown a little spark, but not great. St. Louis buried themselves at the beginning of the year with horrendous goaltending. Maybe they could get back in the race, but sadly, the West is so bad that the Wild can't fall back into a position where they could make a significant trade. Instead, more likely than not, the Wild are going to make a trade to add to this team when they get to the deadline because they're going to be right here in the race and probably in a wild card spot. And even crazier is that none of these teams in the Western Conference are even all that good overall. No, like, and I'm surprised by that. They're nowhere close to where Tampa Bay is or where Toronto is. And it makes you think, as ridiculous as this may be, that if the Wild are in the playoffs, they this is like one of their better chances because I can't remember a time where even the great teams in the Western Conference are very flawed. Nashville is a flawed team yes. now. Like two years ago, they they were great, and even last year they were great. But now it's like Calgary is the most dangerous, but I've <laughs> got to think that they're coming back to earth eventually. San Jose with Eric Carlson, but they have no goaltending. Vegas has faded back from where they were last year, although they've been really hot lately. I mean, none of these teams are perfect. So it's almost like as annoying and frustrating as this is, you have a coach who keeps getting this team to perform just enough to be on the edge of the playoffs or in the playoffs. You might as well take another shot at it here with the West being as down no, as it is. Oh, no, as trade. Is. Dump, Colin. I want him to is. dump Eric Stahl one goal in 13 games. I know. I know that's dump. what you want to do, but it, I don't see any way you could convince uh, ownership of this team to just start dumping players when you're oh, in the a wild card spot. You are correct. Why Why has Edmonton not gotten it together yet? Because they, they were kind of the team a couple of years ago that had kind of blown everything up they and are, tanked, right? They are run by what, what we used to call on the playground at St. Teresa, Dunderhead. Just a lot of Pete bad Chirelli, their GM, is awful, and defensively they remain not good, right? Uh, Hitchcock turned yeah. them around for a while. <laughs> Ken Hitchcock came in, turned him around, you know, kick ass type of guy came in, and that was it. Uh, we have some. In fact, hold. Wait, wait, wait. We hold have on. some breaking news here. The breaking news sounder. Yes, go ahead. Okay. The Minnesota Vikings are hiring Gary Kubiak. Yes. As an offensive advisor. His son Clint, his son Clint with a K, yes, is expected to become the Vikings' offensive uh, quarterbacks coach. I mean, 
And Kevin Stefanski, of course, the offensive it's coordinator. It's North so, Turner Point 2.0. So the Kubiak wow. family will be moving to the Twin Cities. I would suggest renting and not buying. Oh, you know what? Uh, okay. So Kubiak hired by the Vikings just now as an offensive advisor. Is that correct? Yes. Let's come back and discuss this because this could be juicy. Mackie and Judd resume things following these messages. That's just about the most fantastic scheme I've heard to date. On 1500 ESPN. It's filmed. Mackie and Judd now continue. Well, here we are again. Yeah. On 1500 ESPN. And this portion of the Mackie and Judd show is brought to you by the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. TCL Broadcast Studios. The show is Mackie and Judd. Uh, Phil not on the show today, so it's Zolgad, Matthew Collar for now. Uh, Manny Hill, Jonathan Harrison as well. And if you did not hear Adam Schefter now reporting um, what was out there earlier today was Gary Kubiak was in town to interview for an offensive job with the Vikings, but we didn't know exactly what. Schefter reporting the Vikings are hiring former Broncos head coach Gary Kubiak in an offensive advisory role per a league source. Kubiak's son Clint is expected to become Vikings quarterback coach. And Kevin Stefanski, who of course was hired last week, will remain as Vikings OC Matthew, my two thoughts are this, and, and they're going to conflict a little bit because I'm not criticizing this move at all. This sounds to me like Norv and Scott Turner 2.0, but I don't mind this. I And I honestly think that if Kubiak, who has a history with quarterbacks, can come in and hold Cousins' hand and get the most from Kirk, and, and Zim, if he freaks out on Kirk, Kirk doesn't see it, this makes some sense. And Kubiak is a quarterback whisperer. So I get it. I think that the offensive advisory role is much better than Kubiak coaching quarterbacks or something. Like his son coaching quarterbacks is fine, but when it comes to a guy who's as accomplished as him working under someone else who's new, I don't think that's anything you ever want. But as an advisory role, that is totally fine. He's going to be around. He's there to help. He can work with Kirk, like you said, but not directly work with Kirk, sort of indirectly through Stefanski. So Kevin Stefanski is fully in charge of this offense, and he just has Gary Kubiak as an advisor to give him a hand. That's what you hope. Now, because it is the <laughs> you, Minnesota you Vikings. a pretty picture of what's because, not going to happen. Because I have been here now long enough <laughs> to you. understand. Yes. In 2016, I often said, I don't know, Judd. And I don't say that anymore. No, the house um, is the, burning down, and it the, always is. And just count on it. Get out! Uh, because you never know which way things can go. Uh, you always see the potential there when someone older and more accomplished is working under someone younger that there could be some type of conflict. The advisory role does a lot to make me think that won't happen. But, but he's still going to be there on game days. Here's what I like, want to know. How's this going to work on play calling? Kirk Cousins, you look through his history, you look through his career, what you're going to find is lots of mediocre and bad games. And you're going to see some really great games, too, and some really good games, and some winning and some losing. But no doubt, in 2019, there will be two, three games in a row at some point in the 16 games schedule in which he is bad. And so my question is, does Zimmer get so flustered by that that we see a repeat of what happened this year? Do we see another Zimmer wants to make a change because he panics? Now, I'm not saying he did the wrong thing by moving on from Filippo. That was something that was needed to try and salvage the season. It's just that 
you wonder how Zimmer is going to handle the bumps. It's always been a question, and in 2016, he didn't do it very well. 2017, after they got over the initial hump of starting 2-2 two and two and losing Bradford and Delvin Cook, they pretty much rolled the rest of the season. And then this year, it was all over the map. It was it was lows, and then it was highs again, then it was lows again. And when things went wrong, he ultimately ended up firing the offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. And in 2016, when things went wrong, the offensive coordinator resigned. And so, like, here we are. But besides that, it's how, fine. how are those things going to be handled? And is Kubiak the advisor, quote, because he's a fallback option? Is that is that what's really going I on don't, here? No, I don't know. I don't know. No, no, I don't. I see what you're saying, and I don't think so. I think the advisory role, which, by the way, my guess is going to pay incredibly well, is essentially head coach offense. I think Stefanski's going to be in charge of of coming up with the sort of analytical new approach for this works, that works, this work, this works, that works. My guess is. Gary Kubiak's in the press box, the coach's box on game days. Stefanski's on the sideline. They're communicating continually. But I really think I'm going to be surprised, and this is a total guess. It might be wrong, but I'm going to be shocked if we don't find out that the Kubiaks, both of them, are going to be Kirk Cousins' personal handlers. And Stefanski's going to be in that circle. The circle of trust, Zimmer will not <laughs> the be. Serp, the circle of Kirk because, trust. Because Mike and Rick have to know one thing. If this don't work in 2019, everybody's gone. Like, nobody's going to survive. So I think what we are going to see is Rick has told Mike, Rick has said, I like Stefanski, let's keep him. Mike said, okay. They then, they now, now Mike said, but Gary's out there and Gary's great. And Mike didn't talk about it, but he knows more than we do every one of Cousins' failures and problems. Mm-hmm. So I think the circle of trust offensively will now become the Kubiaks, Cousins, and Stefanski. And I think that if you were to really break these jobs up, Mike Zimmer is going to spend 2019 as head coach trying to motivate messages, blah, 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 but really head coach defense. It it does scream stepping farther away from the offense than he already was because he had talked about wanting to get more involved in the offense, and this is sort of just this wild ride that it's been over the last few years with this team, is I remember going to the Combine before the 2017 season, and he had made his, his personal mission to find out more about offense from everybody he could talk to at the Combine and learn more about what he needed to win on offense, which <clears throat> it's usually the quarterback. Uh, but that's what that's what he wanted. Didn't right? he consult with Hugh Jackson a I, lot I, on that? I believe he consulted he with did, yeah. Hugh. Yeah, and, Hugh, was, Hugh that, that was perfect. Well, and so then it works with Pat Shermer, and they have a good offense, and they were in the mix, and they go 13-3. and um, But I don't believe he ever got super involved it was just more involved in in getting what he wanted. But now it looks like he's sort of going the other way again toward, yeah. I don't want to be involved a lot because then it just gets irritating to him, I think. Oh, yeah. And then he just blows up. Yeah. And, and I think, I really believe that Mike went to Spielman and said, he's my guy. And Rick said, we can't sell that. We yeah. can't sell that to the Wilfs, the fans, anybody. That makes no sense. This strikes me as as a compromise in a big way, in a big way. But the X factor here and the component that we didn't think about when when Shermer was brought in to help out with Norv and ultimately replace him was there wasn't this quarterback conundrum at the time. 
there is an obvious issue here with the quarterback. And he signed, sealed, delivered, it's guaranteed. So the question at in Egan really does become, what do we do? What can we do in 2019, because that's the make-or-break year for everybody involved, to milk the most we can from this guy, knowing that that he has shortcomings that if you thought you could coach out of him in 2018, you failed. And that takes me back to where I started today with the hot take coming in here, looking at what happened over the weekend and thinking, you know, if you're going to go all in on Kirk Cousins, then why not go all in on Kirk Cousins? Why not reshape this roster with everything humanly possible for this man to succeed as quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings? And if he doesn't, he doesn't, and you lost your bet. But don't get to the end of the bet in two years from now and say, ah, you you think we should have got him another receiver? You think we should have got him another guard instead of Sheldon Richardson or whatever, right? Instead of... Franchise tagging bar. You guys think we should have got him another left tackle and got rid of Riley Reef or something? Like, that is the last place you ever want to be with this move. You went all in, so go all in. Rely on Mike Zimmer to get you just good enough defense. I was looking at the Super Bowl champions, and a lot of them have good defenses. 12th, 8th, somewhere in that range. But you don't always have to have the best defense in the NFL. But most of the teams that are going, and we see it this year, they've got the top offenses. So if you want to be in that conversation at all, you better get there with your offense. And 23rd in scoring percentage is nowhere close. That's not replace Mike Remmers and you're fine. Right. Right, and this is this is the one place that the Vikings can spend and spend and spend, and nobody cares. Coaching staff. Yep. So if you go get the Kubiaks, Gary Kubiak is probably making what two million, million and a half for sure. Like he's not going to come here. He he was his next flight was to Jacksonville for their OC job. I don't think because of his health problems that he was ever going to be a head coach again. But this was a guy who was going to be an OC. So we're talking about a guy who's going to be well-paid. But this is the Vikings' realization also that they've got a coach whose expertise and creativity and who's really successful is on the side of the ball the teams don't focus on in 2019. I'm chuckling. Uh, Dan in Florida on Twitter weighing in with, what's the realistic percentage this Stefanski-Kubiak-Cousins dynamic blows up in Zimmer's face? I say 60%. (laughs) Oh, it's uh, that's, I mean, these, that's low. These people have been around. That's um, low. Seventy-five percent. Yeah, I don't know. No. I, you know what I think? Um, it's so Cousins is a fascinating case because your er, job is so great right now. Early in his career, I love your job. I do right enjoy now. it. Uh, early in his career, <laughs> Kirk Cousins was kind of a, a, a like kingmaker in a way that Sean McVay gets this. Fourth-round quarterback who had had no success whatsoever early in his career. He gets this fourth-round quarterback to have all sorts of success with his offense and their weapons. And so McVay gets this coaching job in Los Angeles because of what he did with Kirk Cousins. And you look at all these hires that are connected to McVay, in a way, you can... Go back and find, here's Kirk Cousins getting the most out of this fourth-round draft pick, right? Now, patient zero is that what you're telling me? And, and that's and that's going eight and eight, <laughs> nine and seven, yeah. right? So now, yes, we've gone completely 180 where Kirk Cousins will get you fired. Yep. Like, if you do not succeed with Kirk Cousins because he was paid so much, he goes from wow, you got a lot out of this 
fourth round pick to you couldn't get enough out of this $84 million guy. But you know, same guy. How Vikings is this that they got the wrong guy? It's McVay or Cousins, right? The Vikings got the quarterback. Oh, whoops, <laughs> he's not that good. The 32 year old head coach is phenomenal. Let's go to the phone lines. Hey, Hank, what's up? Hey, I think it's time Zim should start, uh, and I'm a Zim guy, but Zim should start coaching. You know, let's get rid of these star players. Let's let uh, Xavier Rhodes go. Because look what he did with um, the guy who came in Holton for Hill. Griffin. Yeah, and the, the corner and then the linebacker, too. Weatherly, Not yeah. star guys. He, he, let's get rid of the star caliber, invest in the offense like uh, Matt's saying, and then uh, Zim can coach some, some lower draft choice type guys. Thanks, Hank. Yeah. You know what? I think you go to Zim and say, Zim, we're going to have to make choices. So you're right. If you if you want to win, exactly right. yes. if you want to win in today's game, you do not have to be the number one offense, but you got to be close. Hmm? You got to be in that conversation. As I was looking through my Super Bowl winners, you've got top ten offenses across the board, except for one in Denver, which is a totally random thing where the Patriots miss an extra point and all their linemen got hurt, and then they couldn't score on a two point conversion. Remember that. Antonio Brown got hurt in that playoffs, and then Roethlisberger wasn't the same. And you basically have to get super lucky to get there with just one side of the ball. And if you are the eighth best defense, you can do it if you're also the eighth best offense. But if you are the, as they were this year, fourth in defense, and then at the bottom of the league in offense, you've got no shot. So they have to do something a little more radical than just hire an offensive advisor. If this goes along with no other moves... He's not an advisor. Come on. He's been given the offense. If this doesn't go along with another wide receiver who's a real receiver... It will. Not Laquan Treadwell. They'll make a couple moves. I liked Aldrick Robinson, but come on. I mean, it's Aldrick Robinson. Yeah, I got you. Or a number two tight end. Or even another running back. The the Patriots use all sorts of running backs. They've got three of them that they run out there. Mm -hmm. And they're all really, really good. If you don't find more weapons for Kirk Cousins and you don't get him an improvement on the offensive line, you will finish 23rd in offense again. It's just, I, I don't care if you bring back Bill Walsh from the grave to run this offense. You are going to end up with one of the worst offenses in the league because that's who your quarterback is. You have to ultra support this quarterback to get anything more out of him than they did last year. And what Mike Zimmer has to realize is that, what he's going to have to realize is that you can focus on the defense and try and build and build and build this defense with every single draft pick that you have in your life, but the reality is there's been 52 Super Bowls, and how many can we really, how many of those 52 winners can we really look at and say, yep, they were all completely dominant on defense, and their offense was, meh. You can probably count them on one hand. Yep. You can count them on one hand, and everybody looks yeah, at the you Ravens. Can them. Yeah, Baltimore, yeah. Yeah, everybody looks at the You're Ravens right. and the Buccaneers and the 85 Bears, but those are that's three teams out of fifty-two that won with just rock star across the board dominant defense and meh on offense. Zim has to realize one thing though, and there's one very very key thing. If he listens to Zolgan Collar, he's going to win. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oh, that's just what they'll be expecting us to do on fifteen hundred ESPN. What is it you're trying to say? Now, back to Mackie and Judd. What? On 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check traffic here very quickly here in the TCL Broadcast Studios. 94 eastbound 
going to crash in Minneapolis between 3rd Avenue and uh, Highway 65. And uh, that's the typical area where there's always seeming to be a crash and it's slowing things down. As usual, because people, when they drive near the Lowry Tunnel, they don't slow down and they're not very careful. So, sorry, I'm just venting a little bit. 694 westbound, we've got a crash in Fridley uh, between University Avenue and East River Road, slowing things down by a few minutes there in that area as well. Judd? Thank you, Manny. TCL Broadcast Studios, final segment with Matthew Collar. Rami will join me for the 5 o'clock hour. So the 1500 ESPN Twitter poll, Matthew Collar, that just went up from our guy Jonathan Harrison. What are the chances the Kubiak, Stefanski, cousin things blows up in Zimmer's face? Right now, 0 to 50% of the respondents say 45%. 50 to 75% say, uh, or 50 to 75% chance of it blowing up, 17%. 15% of the respondents say 75 to 90%, and 23% say there is a 90 to 100% chance of this blowing up. Here's the only immediate question I have. Did Stefanski have an inkling of this last week when things internally at Denver started to implode so you knew that Kubiak was not going to get the OC job there? Or is there a chance, and I guess there's a, at least a small one, that they called Stefanski in and said, you're still the OC, and he said, "That's great. I just got hired." And they said, "But we're bringing in Gary Kubiak today to talk to him." I would. I mean, I have questions, but they don't answer we, the questions. That's it's the, the Vikings. Problem. We all have questions. That, that's the problem. We're Minnesota sports. I, so Why is I can the just I can just imagine myself uh, asking Mike Zimmer. So was Kevin Stefanski in on the decision to bring in Gary Kubiak? Which I think we know the answer. We usually do when we ask a question. By the way. Um, and uh, so it was, did he have anything to do with that? And then not getting an answer like, oh, it was an organizational decision. And like the answer is no, right? <laughs> There's no way Kevin Stefanski said, oh, yes, bring me someone <laughs> who's insanely accomplished and has won the Super Bowl as a head coach and an offensive coordinator and is widely respected across the league to sit behind me and look over my shoulder. That's exactly what I want. He called, he called Zim and said, Mike, I'm scared I took this job. Don't worry, we'll get you Kubiak. This is so no, Vikings, yeah, though. I don't think that that's how... No, I don't either. <laughs> but this is this is so... There are so many questions about... And, and I guess what this comes down to is, when did Kubiak, the Broncos, and Vikings know that that was going to fall apart? And was Stefanski looped in? Does Stefanski like this? I told you, what I envision on game day next year is... Kubiak offensive advisor upstairs, Stefanski downstairs, and a very much a very much a communication system about play calling of some sort, and Zim just totally divorced from offense so that he, that he can continue to do what he likes to do, which is concentrate on defense. Okay, so I guess we could play a little sort of game with this of like which scenario do you think happens and and sort of applying percentages to this. Yeah, give it to me because I I love the the tweet. It's just. So, scenario number one is it implodes. Kevin Stefanski is either fired or there is extreme tension throughout the season because Kirk Cousins is exactly who he's always been, and he drives everyone crazy and turns the ball over, and Zimmer blames Stefanski, and on and on and on and on. That's scenario number one. Yep. Scenario number two is that we don't even really know Gary Kubiak exists. They find some ways to improve the offense. They're a little better. They're a playoff team. They're like 10 and 6, and we never talk about Gary Kubiak again. And scenario number three 
is Gary Kubiak is so damn helpful for Kevin Stefanski that Stefanski goes to the podium in week 17 when this team is 13-3 and and starts crying and says, I've never been closer to another man in my life than Gary Kubiak. And <laughs> Including I, my own father who runs I the Pistons. Believe, I believe that he changed me as a person and this organization, and I can't wait to go win the Super Bowl, me and Gary. I think the one... Cry- Percentages. I think, I think the one crying, though, would not be Stefanski. It'll be Cousins. This man changed my life. I was a very average to mediocre quarterback with big stats before this. Doesn't strike me as a crier. That's what I'm saying. He's going to be so emotionally overtaken by the situation. But I I think that... I think his only emotion is whining. I think that's like the only one. He just gets really whiny. That's your, it. Your hate for him has it's to... It's not hate. It, okay, it's just honest evaluation. Despite, I've never seen the man have an emotion outside of whining. Tough times don't last. Tough people do, right? That is right. That is right. Uh, now, is, is that the Washington one or the one from here? That's the one from here. Yeah. All right. Thank you, Collar. Thanks. <laughs> so oh, oh, wait, 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 wait. Whoa, tomorrow. Whoa. Tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, I, I was, I was, that's your what show. I was wondering. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You, you got 15 seconds. At all. Oh, okay. you know what? You know what? Stay here. Come back. We, we will set the table for what is going to happen on these airwaves tomorrow. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Oakley-dokley. On 1500 ESPN. It's